I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hello, I'm Sarah Pascoe. Hello, I'm Carrie Lloyd, And we're weird about books. We love to read. We read too much. We talk too much. About the too much that we've read. Which is why we've created the, the Weirdos, Weirdos Book Club. Join us. A space for the lonely outsider to feel accepted and appreciated. A place for the person who'd love to be in a real book club, but doesn't like wine or nibbles. Or being around other people. Is that you? Join us. Check out our Instagram, at Sarah and Cariad's Weirdos Book Club, for the upcoming books we're going to be discussing. You can read along and share your opinions. Or just skulk around in your raincoat like the weirdo you are. Thank Thank you for reading with us. We We like reading with you. This week's guest is Death of a Bookseller by Alice Slater. What's it about? It's a book about selling books and reading true crime books written by a writer who once sold books, but now she's writing about a bookseller writing poems, which are in fact bits of books. And what qualifies it for the Weirdo Book Club? It's a page turner about a weird woman and her obsession with a slightly less weird woman that she works with. In this episode, we will be discussing true crime, retail, class, bra fittings, grief, Columbiners, male masturbation, female cruelty, and tote bags. And joining us this week, we have the incredible author Eliza Clark. Eliza's debut novel, Boy Parts, is critically acclaimed, award nominated, and had people shouting things like incendiary and morbidly brilliant at her in the street. I read her new novel, Penance, over the weekend, and I'll be shouting, You're a genius at her as soon as we've finished recording. Describing herself, Eliza says, I'm from Newcastle and working class. To publishers, I'm diverse. But she says it in a Geordie accent. Welcome, Eliza Clark, and death of a bookseller. <laughs> so she feels at home. Yeah, yeah. There's definitely loads of weirdos in this book. I think anyone who drinks fruit cider is weird. Just going to put it out there. <laughs> I think it's sort of one of the things that I find really gross about Roach is just the amount of fruit cider. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, can you imagine how your teeth would feel? Oh. Sometimes in a book, someone drinks a drink you wouldn't have. Like, I've read a book where the character kept having Baileys and Coke and I know that's impossible but it was still aspirational to me (laughs) even though I know you can't put Baileys in Coke Coke in Baileys the sweetness Mm. of it the creaminess if the writer maybe wants it wouldn't it it does curdle yes but the way the fruit cider was described always always made me think oh god those nights being a student those drinks what's the name for it it used to be something that people used to ask for something like snake bite snake bite yeah 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 yeah. until it became illegal yeah we went like seven it was a cocktail 
because they were like, this three ingredients, you can't do it in Weatherspoons. <laughs> oh God, so disgusting. Yeah. Um, so we should say it is about two, mainly about two women. It's told from each chapter different. It's been Roach and Laura. Mm-hmm. Uh, Roach is our official weirdo. I think that's fair to say. Mm-hmm. Laura is perhaps on first meeting, you wouldn't think she's a weirdo, but it becomes clear that there are, as you said, slightly less weird. They're both She as has weird. outsider tendencies. Yeah, she's hiding she's creative. better, I suppose. Yeah. She's more in, hiding in plain sight, whereas Roach is absolutely, definitely, as soon as you meet her, a definite outsider. So something I read when I was, was that um, they're both unlikable characters. So what I was going to ask you two is, did you like them? And is it important to like characters Ooh. if you're spending a whole book with them? Like starting with Roach, really. Yeah, I mean, I I think I like Roach. I think I like Roach a bit more than Laura <laughs> because Roach is quite like earnest and upfront. I think it's like it's like who would you rather deal with on a day to day basis? It's obviously Laura, but as in terms of who I'm spending time with, um, I think I think I just I think I'm a Roach fan. The writer definitely wants us to sympathise with her with Roach. Yes, mm. yeah, I think she works backwards. Like, as in, like, when you meet them, you're like, oh, Roach is awful, Laura's fine. And then you start that crossover point where you're like, oh, actually, maybe Laura's a pain in the fucking ass, and Roach actually has some qualities. Although I did think Roach is... This is jumping head. Mm. Roach has keeps a snail, and there is a moment, <laughs> a snail incident that happens with Laura, which Roach uses to justify quite a lot of stuff. I was, like, <laughs> I was like, I still think we've all accidentally stood on a snail. Obviously, it means a lot more to Roach. But, yeah, you do... I like, I thought that was very clever and good the way that when you meet Laura, you're like, she seems perfectly reasonable. Why is Roach so horrible? And then halfway through the book, you're like, actually. Well, Laura's mean. Do you think she's mean? I don't think she's kind. Mm, That's interesting. To Roach. No, she isn't kind to Roach. Agreed. And Roach, it's one of those classic, she can't help it. So you sort of forgive them. Yeah, yeah, Personality traits. It's very well justified. It is, but that's what I thought was interesting. In Roach's head, she justifies it quite a lot of like, oh, if only Laura was nice to me, we could be friends. We could have Mm. these moments. But there was that moment where I was like, Roach, that's mental. Like her imagination (laughs) of like, oh, we're going to like be girls getting ready together. is like something that Laura has never given ever. I think they're both as bad as each other, to be honest, in their fantasies. Like, So Laura has this fantasy about this guy, Eli and she is completely deluded about Eli in the way that Roach is completely deluded about her so they're both Mm. not very good at picking up the signs of other people when Roach watches Laura perform her poetry Mm. Roach is so taken with her and so and and it really is genuine like she can't believe that people are letting her walk out of the room to go for a cigarette because she Mm. thinks she's going to be mobbed by literary (laughs) agents and fans she's so overwhelmed with positivity towards her work and that response is so genuine that then Laura's rejection of that I'm not saying it's as bad as treading on a snail or that if you you know all of us perform all of us I was gonna say like as a performer when somebody is too effusive about your work there is something off about it I actually can't be too effusive (laughs) actually yeah and people are addicted to my comedy (laughs) help groups but you know what I mean I think that's what's I think that's what's strange about Roach's reaction because it seems nice I think I might be team Laura (laughs) I, I, I think I think when you put work out there and especially when you're still at a venue you're technically still at work like you've done a book mm, reading, yeah. Eliza, someone comes up to you and, you know, it's about them, not you. Mm. I still think there's a duty of care or a duty of professionalism, which is making them feel OK about their reaction to your work, even if you don't particularly 
like it yeah i agree yeah. with you have you ever had weird people after reading <laughs> eliza i find like the i i feel like i'm so on best behavior because the idea of upsetting somebody who is like enthusiastic about my book is so profoundly mortifying to me that the idea of like somebody being very sort of excited about something and then being kind of rude about it afterwards but then at the same time I can't physically set a boundary I'm really really bad at setting boundaries so yes. I was thinking maybe maybe Laura's just setting a boundary and that's valid I don't yeah. think a boundary person I would think would go okay you've had your time with me yeah. here's your time with me so nice to meet you I'm going to go back to my friend yes now. that's true she's just kind of mean she makes her feel stupid <laughs> you keep seeing both of them do things you're like just don't do that I know that's what I think if you <laughs> don't were, do that if you were Roach's friend yeah you'd be like you'd you say, back off a bit and also you now, just be slightly slightly polite yeah so mm. go yeah go and buy her book ask her to sign it you know there are yeah um but someone at that early stage in their career they should just be grateful that someone says well done after their show <laughs> well this is true because eliza you're a very successful and brilliant writer so Thank you're you. talking about something of like a book has come out and caused this complete change in the narrative and culture and people come up to you this is a small local poetry reading yeah <laughs> so you think laura would be a bit more like oh my god somebody liked it yeah. she does act like she's margaret atwood <laughs> she's like yeah. i don't have time i have to go margaret atwood is always smoking, always in, the, smoking. in the pub garden <laughs> with, with the boy she fancies if you want to find atwood she's out having a rolly at the back of the, <laughs> the two brothers have you ever eliza have you ever had um, people want to hug you no no Ooh. one has asked to touch me yet because that's that's, that's the boundary that I <laughs> yeah. find really difficult because they think of a hug as a gift for you like here is my <laughs> gift yeah. here is my I feel so connected I feel like we can hug but you've just met them and also you don't you don't like hugging for stop I think a hug is a, a take <laughs> I yeah. think a hug is a little bit of take of energy yeah a little, it's, that's how you that's how you treat a hug definitely yeah, yeah 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 and so part of my boundary thing is to start to say no oh yeah yeah but it's a really then awkward thing because they then feel terrible yeah because they were giving you a gift and you've yeah. gone i don't want your disgusting <laughs> gift yeah your reaction to hugs is quite visceral yeah so i don't i don't hug you i've known you for 20 oh no, years i don't have a visceral reaction to strangers <laughs> No, but you're not polite but you're not a fan of them even from people you know is what i mean so then when strangers ask it's even more yeah it's a quandary it's a quandary, it's a quandary. <laughs> i feel oh, like that about photos Catherine ryan because i used to really feel bad when i used to want to say no is when i had no makeup on and i was like you know mm. on the tube early morning etc and i'd want to say no as in like it's not going to be a nice photo and Catherine ryan said to me it's really important other women see women who wear makeup at work looking normal so you have to take ugly photos so now i just do them <laughs> she always looks good is the oh, irony of that comment. <laughs> she has incredible porcelain skin and looks porcelain. good in all of her photographs yes. porcelain. i want to talk about mm. if we can the true crime element of mm. this yes this is quite interesting for for myself and sarah i do yes. not like true crime mm. i hate it yeah. with a passion i don't read it i don't listen to it Sarah feels well, is Team Roach. <laughs> this is why I'm so fascinated because I'm reading Penance at the moment, Eliza, mm -hmm. and I can't pick you. You've obviously done a huge amount of research into true crime podcasts and fandom and the internet and Reddit threads, but I couldn't, with Alice Slater, the writer of this book, while there is a debate about the merits of true yeah. crime and how mm -hmm. exploitative it is and how... Uh, without empathy it can be as an entertainment format yeah. and whether we're comfortable with that I still felt that you know at the beginning where um 
they, she's going to see like the murder girls. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's going yeah. to see murder girls, which feels to me so clearly my favourite murder. Even at, I, and I thought it was my favourite shows, murder, yeah. and I was like, <laughs> she's a true crime fan. Who also, you know. We can be true crime fans and also have our doubts occasionally. But Eliza, I couldn't pick it with you. I guess I'm sort of a little bit of both in that I feel like I'm a bit of a convert in that I've converted to not liking it um, as much. And that I used to, yeah, I used to listen to a lot of true crime podcasts and, and sort of yeah just kind of indulging it quite a lot I will I will say in my defense I did always think of it as a prurient and rubbernecking interest I was never kind of like it's definitely it's feminist actually yeah um, <laughs> and yeah it was kind of as I was writing penance I sort of went off it I did a lot of like reading of like true crime books like big books written by sort of I mean I guess there's always going to be a degree of exploitation but um I guess journalists who I feel were making a genuine effort not to be exploitative and mm. to to give you kind of like a like a like a socio political history, I think of a of a crime is always really interesting and really important to hear. So it's kind of like reading sort of high quality stuff like that, and then kind of thinking about it a lot while I was writing penance, and then going back to a podcast. I just remember like listening to like half an hour of one and just turning it off and thinking this is vile. <laughs> I like I don't think I could do this anymore. It is, it is very strange the comedy genre overlap. Mm. So um, in in penance there is um coots is called one of the guys yeah and it's really like one of the american podcasts which is called um last podcast on the left last podcast on the left (laughs) okay and essentially they do funny voices and they improv and they talk over each other and about true crime yeah yeah and i'm not saying i don't like listening to men (laughs) yeah i feel like i can listen to men yeah you can yeah but i when i listen to last podcast on the left i feel like those people who write underneath unbearable the pitch of their voices <laughs> mm. they, it's so grating yeah because they are trying to make each other laugh so that comedy the flippancy of comedy which is so psychopathic yeah. in itself like it is so devoid of empathy well yeah I just so I do a podcast called Griefcast. Mm-hmm. that's obviously why I'm team Laura because it's like I can relate to having lost a parent at young age mm-hmm. and talking about grief and people in what I found interesting people in the grief community and there is a grief community mm-hmm. industry as much as there's true crime do not like there's not a crossover that we do mm-hmm. not meet because it's like I read as soon as I started reading Laura I was like I didn't see her always as me and I was like this person has so much grief and they haven't dealt with it so she's angry and she's blocked off and she's defensive and it's like all of a sudden is grief undealt with grief which I actually think Alice did a really good job of writing Mm. someone who is grieving in a way that doesn't look like grief that everyone else is like oh she's a stuck up bitch and it's like Mm. there's just so much pain in that person and everything she's doing is pretend it's fake it's like I'm just trying to put myself back together because I don't know who I am we've had this conversation about true crime like anything that seems like to listen to it by choice when you don't need to feel that it's like Mm. why would you do that when it like grief is out there pain is out there why would you then go and like open the door but we've had this conversation where you're like but it, it feels like safer to listen to it well I'm like it feels terrifying to listen to people's defensiveness of it is usually people who may be and I obviously can't speak for everyone who could consider themselves traumatized or anxious but not having experienced great grief yeah like they say that's why it calms me yeah because really uh I found that really weird when she was talking about the calm I put on this I listened to the Westbridge three or whatever it was and I felt my jaw unclenched and I was like I cannot imagine it listening to something that's horrific and it relaxing you yeah whereas my grief community it's like you listen to the person talking about their grief and that's what relaxes you because you're like oh you went through this thing but it's a very it's, there's you're not talking about 
I don't know, it's not like you're not investigating the trauma in that way. You're investigating the trauma from someone kind of after mm. the event talking. They're in control in a much clearer way. The other um, very ethical thing with is is um, the advertising, which again mm. is something that you um, uh, talk about in penance in terms of like selling mattresses. Oh my kind of God. But there are some people who want to tell stories around true crime, but don't think it's appropriate to make your living off it. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And the, well, it's yeah. the same come up in in grief podcasts. Like I do adverts for the show, so that it exists. And then sometimes what happens is uh, my, you know, they'll run automatic adverts. So I get people going. My listeners will email me and go, "Do you realise there's a F- Father's Day advert for a supermarket?" Ooh. And you're like, "No!" Or like a baby one, and you've had an episode about child loss, and you're like, yeah. "Oh God!" Like it was advertising like a nappy deal or something. This, but it's this just- this episode has got fat pills. It's just <laughs> calling everyone a fat bitch, <laughs> saying, "Take these pills, take these pills." Yeah, it's Chloe Kardashian. <laughs> God, and it is it is hard because that's the th- and I think Alice dealt with that very well. I felt like it was a very balanced view of true crime in that you did get Laura's mine and Laura's slightly pious opinion and then I did appreciate hearing the other side of Roach talking about you know what it meant to her and how it felt to be part of that community and but yeah I still found myself a bit shocked that she entered it when she was like oh I entered it through being a columbiner of like mm-hmm. people who used to like follow the Columbine shooters and were like really into them I was like what <laughs> where is this world well, one of the characters in Penance mm is very similarly and I actually hadn't realized this was a thing but of course it is yeah. mm. a, a young woman who identifies with a school shooter and you know they have have nicknames for them and want to communicate with them yeah. and read their diaries and so overly romanticize them as heroes mm. and identify with them because they live in a shithole you know that horrible yeah. teenage feeling they project onto them and go they like me they didn't fit fit in no one appreciated them. They lived in a shithole. For me, it sort of feels like a bit of a misfire of empathy. Yeah. Um, and that they're kind of, they're empathising with the, the wrong people. But it's sort of like almost the kind of like, I don't know, this very extreme act of empathising with someone, of of empathising with somebody who's done something so, so awful. And that I think, I don't know, I just feel like teenagers have got a lot of weird, very strong misfiring emotions mm. constantly. And it's like, it's just gone to completely the wrong person. Um, there's a really fantastic book called Savage Appetites by um, a writer called Rachel Monroe. She sort of details four different cases of true crime fans. So it's like the first one is like a, an older lady in the 50s in America who makes these like very intricate little maquettes. But then I think it's the last chapter is about Columbiners. Um, and it's it's just a very interesting um, exploration of, I don't know, I guess women who are really, really into murder in different yes. ways from these little sort of intricate maquettes to she has this great anecdote where she's talking about this this young woman who gets obsessed with like a bank robber in her local town he's i I can't remember if he's a bank robber or he kidnaps a kid or if he does both (laughs) and she writes this like half of a novel that's very romantic and very very sort of invested in this kind of dark hero and then the fantastic punchline at the end was like and that woman was ayn rand (laughs) (laughs) and it's and it's i mean it's like i said it's a great punchline but it's also just everything you need to know about ayn rand in a nutshell isn't it the og serial killer (laughs) Uh, there's um, a really interesting evolutionary theory and obviously that's not hard science but because because it doesn't make sense to most people yeah why um but the evolutionary theory is that 
if there is a dangerous man around, your safest place is to befriend him yeah, or to be yeah, near yeah. him. The idea that the reason human beings are all so different is that we all sort of fit together in a tribe, you know, in terms of survival senses. There's just this way that we feel is an aberration, but actually it's another way of being safe, which is like, no, I'm his girlfriend. Yeah. <laughs> I, won't, I won't be one of his victims. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. What I thought she did really well for me... Mm coming from grief camp is she caught the idea that there was a piece of this puzzle that Roach didn't fucking get yeah. and a piece that Laura did get mm. and even though Laura is a bitch and is annoying and could have been kinder it, she does have this like her mum was murdered yes. and that Roach the way Roach dances around all of this stuff is so fantastical and, and isn't based in any reality and I feel like Laura lives in a really horrible reality and it's like Roach is living in podcast internet world oh mm. absolutely if you said to someone, oh my God, I'm so into that serial killer. Yeah. And they said, that person killed a relative of mine. Yeah. You instantly would feel so, oh God. Whereas Roach's reaction is, ooh, which I one? Know. <laughs> and I thought, <laughs> why, that was, why has she been so secretive? That yeah. was such a nice thing in the book that Laura would be mean in her head about Roach and be like, oh, I can see her like waiting for crumbs like a dog. Mm. And then you'd hear Roach being like, oh God, I was so excited. And you're like, oh, Laura's not wrong about Roach. Yes. So that's what I thought was interesting. Her meanness and her distaste of Roach comes from a truth of like, you find me interesting for the wrong reasons. Mm. But the way Laura dealt with that wasn't always helpful. But there was an absolute truth that Roach was interested in her like a car crash mm. and that Laura's had that all her life. And as a grieving person who's had like extremely traumatic grief, mm. You are. She's been dealing with that since a teenager, so you can see she's run out of patience. So when mm. she does come across Roach, she's like, "Fuck, like fuck you! I have no yeah. time for these people who I can feel as like leeching on me." Roach considers it to be open territory, as yeah. she considers her interest in a murderer who is local to her to be partly owned. I know mm. that's it. What do we feel about that? Her. Of like, who does own that story? Because I thought that was really interesting. Of like, Roach does have a point. It's a public. It is. It's a public story. She grew up around it. People's lives are sometimes hugely affected by yeah. local crime. I mean, there was a girl who went missing where I grew up from a playground that we played oh in. God. And what happens is a generation of children know that name, are told yeah, that story, yeah. it's repeated up until your teens. So the huge emotional effect isn't, the lovely phrase you used, Eliza, was like empathy misfiring. Yeah, yeah. Mm. 
you don't think you had you have the same ownership as the family of that person but it was oddly a story that was told to you again and again throughout your life and feels like part of the fabric of your story as well yeah mm. it's complicated i think that's what i liked this book i thought did very well of of not drawing a line in the sand of mm. being like oh that's right that's wrong like and because she keeps flicking between Nora and Roach you mm. do you're constantly and I look totally there was times as a former goth I was on Roach's <laughs> side <laughs> there was definitely times when I was like yeah fair play I got a bit annoyed with Laura for not realising Roach was in her house <laughs> <laughs> did you? do you think you'd just know if someone was in your I house? I got a bit like oh I guess it's just it's good writing isn't it I was frustrated I like desperately wanted the moment where she discovered her like and that the way it's always so hazy everything's hazy which I thought was interesting because it comes back to like Laura's mother's murder everything being a bit hazy and it's actually quite hard to pin things down but like mm. the the boring narrative person in me was like I want you to know and to tell her the bit when she's yeah there's a bit with spoiler there's all a spoiler when she just finds out she's in the bathroom and you're like it's not even like, it's just because she's singing that she hasn't heard. And Mochi's like, oh, whoa, that was a close one. You're like, mm-hmm. why did you go back there? Mm. Um, there were some lovely details. I appreciated Roach sniffily going through her wardrobe and discovering it's all H&M, ASOS and atmosphere. <laughs> <laughs> well, she thought it was more vintage. And it's like, no, she just dresses from the high street. Like, But Roach is so out of fashion, she has no idea. Mm. Also found it stressful when she was bleaching her hair without sort of consulting the box <laughs> that was very stressful <laughs> like that's not something you should do by yourself by drinking fruit cider but as a character trait that's oh, it was, absolutely it was great. dead on. yeah 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 it was perfect it was perfect um so working in a bookshop yeah we got some have you got a fact well i got some i got some facts <laughs> Okay. Uh, just she is a former bookseller, Alice Sater. Mm. She worked in Waterstones. So the book, uh, the book company in the podcast is called Spines, which mm. is clearly Waterstones. Yeah. Um, she started the Christmas Temp. Then Sarah Pascoe. I've got a fact. It's going to blow your mind. Oh my gosh, Sarah, where did you work? I when you were oh, a bookseller. I worked in W. Smiths in Romford. Alice Sater was a manager of Romford Waterstones. I didn't even know there was a Waterstones in <laughs> oh. so It definitely wasn't back then. Okay. But I did, it does say that at the back of the book. Oh, no, so I thought I, you were excited. No, it, it was still exciting because I was just thinking about the people of Romford and have they become more literary. <laughs> <laughs> was it just Derrick Smith when you were there? Yes, and also the W. Smith was mainly magazines. Oh, yeah, yeah, We yeah. didn't have a large book section. But at the time, just in our defence, we weren't reading books because Born Slippy came out and it had Going Back to Rumford <laughs> as the last line. Yeah. So we were just dancing to that. Oh, great. We were too busy to read. Too busy to read. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was also a former bookseller of W. Smith's. Mm. Uh, not the Romford branch. We should say Alice Sater then moved up to the Gower Street branch, then Notting Hill Gate. Gower so she, Street's a great branch. Yeah, and Notting Hill, mm. she moved up well. She's a good book, clearly a very good book. What was the last one? Notting Hill Gate. Notting Hill Gate. And then she became a very, very successful author. Yeah. So that's the ladder. That's the ladder you got to take, booksellers. Eliza, did you ever work in a bookshop? No, I didn't. My my best customer service job was I worked at Agent Provocateur for Ooh. about, for not quite a year. Oh, so that got, is Did you good. have to measure yeah. bras? I did. I did a lot of bra fit. And I used to, I used to say, see like six to seven pairs of boobs a week. And then I sort of moved back to Newcastle and became a bartender. It's no boobs at all. <laughs> it was, it was a, it was a huge loss. <laughs> so the world of a bookshop, the sort of, the retail elements of it are very, very well observed in the book. The retail mm. elements are so good. She really does get the like Christmas customers. Christmas customers. Mm. And the list of questions she has of what people can ask. You can almost feel Alice Slater's own personal anger bristling through. <laughs> there are some really funny jokes about very recent successful books as well. Yes. In terms of, oh my excellent. God, you haven't read this. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. oh, this is what you're going to love. And I thought Roach was really good at 
judging Laura's pathetic book pride on things and the way that she would sell them to certain people and the way they look and oh the tote bags the tote bag trolling <laughs> there's some excellent tote bag trolling yeah. of saying like oh it's in typewriter font and it says bookworm or though she be, <laughs> be but little she is fierce which is a quote I once had on a badge <laughs> to be fair in my 20s which was a long time ago um but yeah I was like oh gosh she really like slams those mm. kind of people who see books as a personality Mm. which I think is... This podcast. This podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was like, it's oh. Us. And our new tote bags, carriage, you've not seen them yet. It's, got, it's your little face on a tiny puppy. It's like, so she's a little, she is fierce. Yeah. In typewriter font yeah. that no one uses anymore. Yeah. Oh, that's the that's the Tumblr generation that I come from, which I'd happily see back. Um, yeah, I thought the retail stuff was really impressive, really good. And I thought that's what made Roach quite likeable for me, is that Roach kept skewering Laura's perfection of, of that, and I guess that's the type of personality perhaps we're familiar of books being, mm. I'm a good person because I know books. Like, mm. therefore, I'm smart and I'm kind and I'm funny and I'm interesting. And also, but when you work in retail, you get paid very little. You get paid minimum wage, maybe slightly higher, but you are expected to be devoted. And yeah. like, they have a star system in this bookshop. Yeah. And Roach doesn't want to join in on yeah. that. And I think there is a division in retail of those who just, you know, this is where I work. I do what I'm told from yeah, the head yeah. office and people who see through it. Yeah, yeah. Do you remember, was it was it Ottaker's you had next door? There was another bookshop. How oh, the, there was your, a better bookshop. Your manager yeah. described it. Do you remember? No, he said a lot of mad things, my manager. Okay, so I, this is this is my memory. Okay. You coming home one day, not furious, but maybe just contempt. It was, it was hard. It was hard work. But because the manager had been describing the lead up to Christmas as being like the Somme. No, yes, I was going to say this. This wasn't, this is what happened was, so there was another bookstore, a Waterstones-esque cool bookstore, W. Smith. Let me tell you, as my manager once told me, sells most books in the UK, so I don't know why people are so sniffy about it. And um, he took us all off the shop floor into a corridor, like outside of the shop. So like left books, no one was there. It was Christmas. And like, this is like four uni grads, all like, English students, you know, being like, we don't really know what we're doing. We're just, here. all of us are waiting for our lives to begin. And he was like, this is Christmas. You, I cannot believe the way you're selling. This is the trenches. This is the song. This is World War One. You've got your backpacks on, machete in hand. We're going over the top. And we just all stared at him like, this isn't happening. And it was like after the office had been out. So, you know, like this, yeah. it, how the office has ruined speeches like this. You should now be ashamed of yourself for making that speech. And I said, are you serious? He was like, yes, I am. Now go back out there, soldiers, and sell, sell, sell. A lot of the narrative of this book is two women not being very kind to each other. Mm. The characters in Penance are younger so they're still at school and it goes mm. all the way back to primary school. And it does, like having read both of them in quick succession, I'm like, oh God, women are awful to each other. Girls are so <laughs> cruel. Everyone's a bully. Everyone is bullied and a bully at the same time. Yeah. And so you can't really pick who is the worst. And yeah. do you hate women? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. You've been listening to Weirdos yeah. Book Club. <laughs> See you later. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I often think boys get off the hook with how cruel they are to each other. Mm. There was, um, I'm, I'm going to tell a gross anecdote, but there was, a, there was a boy at my school who didn't know what wanking was. And then the boys, the other boys told him that it was when you put your fingers up your bum. Oh no! And then he told them that he did it. 
and that he got some substances on his fingers yeah. and they just called him brown finger for the oh. rest of the time they used to sing it to the tune of Goldfinger. oh yeah. that's so bad and it's like but girls would never do that <laughs> maybe they would actually i think it's very different cruelty and maybe we maybe that's as women we can but we we know what female cruelty really feels mm. like so when you're reading it perhaps it feels mm. whereas boy if you told that story to another boy who'd been bullied they might be like weeping now in, in PTSD whereas yeah. we're like oh they called him brown finger good song reference yeah. so I think there's <laughs> great a great joke yeah there's a particular because it's like it's familiar it's yeah. fa- that familiar mm. pain that you know that got like the cruelty that women have and I think it comes also, back to also like the how, unescapableness of yeah. it, especially mm. in penance because they're online. And, with, and I guess for these oh. characters, for Laura and Roach, you're stuck working with someone. Yeah. It's that thing of hating going in, being fearful of are they in the room? What mood are they in? Oh, they, yeah. are they on their lunch break too? I guess what feels familiar is the unescapable <laughs> mm. nature yeah, of it. Yeah, and I think it's also what she deals with really nicely is the hidden nature of female cruelty because we don't tend to get into like brawling that's not how problems are solved it's all done underhand so that Roach and Laura are both horrible to each other and everyone in the staff room is like oh come on like Mm -hmm. just have a fag calm down like it's like this the insidious nature that it's played out in that and both times there's times when you feel for Roach and Laura because it's something so unfair has happened and like when you know the example I guess when Roach steals her poem (laughs) (laughs) and it's just like absolutely blazing it wasn't me and everybody kind of they both feel like they haven't been treated fairly even though all everyone's tried to do is stay out of it mm. everyone's just trying to basically like not have anything to do with it um but yeah that that female bitchiness i suppose is the classic word for it it's very like claustrophobic I think, yeah is yeah that feeling but I think... also you hope that we grow out of it mm. do you think we do mm. i have <laughs> I, think, I think like by the time you're in yeah i think most people do particularly by the time they're at least in their 30s yeah hopefully but um i think sometimes work really brings out the like high school yeah because yeah. it can be so like because you're kind of forced to be there like school yeah um and there is that kind of like i don't know especially when there's like a sort of in-group out-group element to it i think that can get very like yeah like you said very claustrophobic that feeling of coming in and being like is this person here today oh thank god they're off that kind of thing you're right you're absolutely right about workplace and it happens a lot actually in uh productions yeah. and, and plays everyone bonds over a dislike of one, one person, person. <laughs> and that could be very subtle yeah. but they are ostracized yeah. and they do know it so the social elements you know last to be invited people not including them in rounds yeah. they're really subtle ways but you know if you're that person what do they say you need those things to say we, we went to you together of like if you don't know who everyone's moaning about it's you mm. <laughs> like if you're not in on that conversation like oh I can't believe they did that it's because it's you yeah and it's like I remember someone at uni saying that to me and it was them. <laughs> and I was like, oh, do I have to start? Yeah, God, isn't she annoying? Like I had to give you something so you feel mm. like you're in the, but actually we are all moaning about you at the moment. I think it comes from school life and that's why school life, I think my parents are obsessed with schools because if you have a good school and your experience of school can be like, yes, there was bullying, but I was looked after or I learned to survive it. Then when you get to a workplace, you can recreate that. And if you feel like people are being mean to you, you can be like, oh, that's their problem, not mine, I'm I'm okay. But if you were in school, like Roach clearly was, it never got dealt with, her mum didn't support her, she's alone. 
you continue it and you're looking for those patterns again. You're just recreating it. Mm. And her thing with Laura, like she does obsess over her as soon as she meets her. And she she is creepy about her dead mother who was murdered. <laughs> like there's, there's lots of things on paper where you're like, yeah, you can see why people don't instantly want to hang out with you. Mm. And, and the only way she survives it is to basically remodel herself entirely on Laura. She sort of steals Laura's life, mm. which I really like that because it felt um, weirdly like, Sweet Valley High to me. Do you know what I mean? It was like a real teenagey, like, I'm going to steal. She gets her hair, she gets her clothes, like, she she literally takes away everything. But I sort of, yeah, I was hoping for a big, not Sweet Valley High, maybe like Hollyoaks, like, moment <laughs> where, like, she like threw a drink over her. But you don't quite get that moment, which I think yeah. is probably better writing than Hollyoaks. <laughs> With that school choices thing, so Carrie and I are at an age mm-hmm. where people... We're just at an age. It, That's the age. phrase. We're, we're at an age. We're, we're, we're at an age now where... Um, the schools thing is a really huge decision mm-hmm. and people want their children to have to avoid the life they had. Yeah, so if you're unhappy at a comprehensive, you think by spending money they'll be fine. Or, yeah. or selecting a better school. But I don't think there is any school because in mm-hmm. penance there's a mixture of sort of upper middle class wealthy children but at a comprehensive and mm-hmm. then, you know, there's a couple of housing estates of differing sizes and the level of care at the school, which actually isn't really poor Mm. but um is it something that you've thought about a lot in terms of your own schooling or background yeah I went to a school quite similar to the one that I sort of talk about in Penance so there's um I'm from the west end of Newcastle where there's there's like a huge comprehensive called uh war bottle which is like I think it's like nearly like 2,000 students or something it's like massive Mm. and then also um when I started school Newcastle was in three tier and it changed to two tier around the time that I would have been going to two tier my mom also went to war bottle and was having like a nervous breakdown about the idea of sending me specifically to war bottle when I was 11 because I would have died there because I was a very strange child <laughs> um so I there was a comprehensive in Pontyland which is like a village in sort of the bottom end of Northumberland where it's like right on the border between Northumberland and Tynanweir so I got sent to a middle school and a high school in Northumberland and um, yeah it was kind of very like that where there was a mix of like kids that had been busted from the West End Mm. by parents that were sort of a bit like you're not going to war battle and then um, like kids that were from the area of Pontyland but then there were like estates around the Pontyland area as well but there was also Darris Hall which is like where the footballers live and it was Mm. where all of the new money kids lived so it was it was a real mix of um well just like a really broad mix of of sort of socioeconomic backgrounds that that the kids were coming from yeah and that's something that I mean adults struggle with it so of course teenagers struggle Mm. with and it's such an easy way to victimize someone Mm. isn't it like not having the right clothes the right shoes the way that very young people feel they have to display money for safety at school Mm. Well, it's just so much like what both of these characters are doing is using these things to pretend they are someone mm. like it's costume, it's drag. It's mm. just like I'm putting it on and that's like Laura's tattoos and her vintageness and her matching berets and shoes is all saying I'm fine. Mm. I'm not a person whose mum was murdered. I'm a normal person. And it's so funny that Rachel always calls her a normie. And you're like, yeah, I think Laura's desperate to be normal because she's actually she's actually so weird compared to Roach. Mm. Her background is actually extreme, really extreme. And mm. Roach is putting on, you know, like she, it, Roach is just trying anything. I think mm. Roach doesn't have a clue because she moves so quickly from heavy metal rocker yes. to like vintage trying to be Laura. Yeah, And I think that's what we all are you do at school. And that's what I guess these characters are slightly stunted, aren't they? Because they've both been... Th- they, you know, Roach for her own reasons, Dora for her own reasons, haven't 
got to that moment mm. where you're like oh this is who I am and that's fine and that's when I think you can stop bullying or being bullied because <laughs> you're like yeah that's who I am I can't really change it can I like yeah. that's just it well, and that's who I am and that person doesn't like it which yeah. is fine it's just fine yeah and you learn that with stand-up comedy actually because <laughs> at the beginning you really want everyone to laugh yeah. at you <laughs> this sounds like such a failed comic and uh, <laughs> and then what you realize over many years <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyone laughs that's a win <laughs> I did a I did a it was a Soho theatre they were getting creatives together to talk and I was talking to a chef and it was actually so similar to comedy which is wow. like you make the best dinner you can yeah and then someone will taste it and go I don't like it yeah and it's not because you cooked a bad dinner yeah because some people, have, some people they want to eat bad taste buds like fundamental well, not, bad, just not bad no some people do come on let's be honest <laughs> some people do some people do some people just don't want what you're cooking yeah that's true there's some people just don't want you and cooking. that's it so if you're an accomplished chef in this analogy but it's your personality you go i can't i'm doing my best <laughs> i'm doing my best with <laughs> my personality it's not for them is that what rach wanted to say at the end I, i'm doing my best that is the ending <laughs> that is that the ending <laughs> Ever fancied someone you work with? I don't think so. It's time to shout out. We might get, <laughs> might get snug. <laughs> I love fancying someone at work. Because it's just a do. reason to go in. Yeah, a reason to get excited. Yeah, I was going to say, not seriously. Only in a way to like, entertain myself when yeah. I've been. It's sort of in a kind of like, could I fancy this person? Yeah, and then you, you usually make yourself of, fancy yeah. them, don't you? Because they're there. And then you see them outside of work and you're like, nah. Yeah. <laughs> Idiot, actually. <laughs> Carried? I can't discuss it. No comment. No comment. <laughs> she married him. Yeah. <laughs> Christmas parties, works drinks. Oh, yeah, the work Christmas party they describe. That obviously is a Waterstones genuine Christmas party where they all go and get absolutely wasted. I want to go to that then. It's the same. I thought it sounded really good. <laughs> Maybe they'll invite us. I would love a part time job in Waterstones. Now. You'd, be, you'd be good at it as well. Because you would just get to hear from so many people about what they were reading and what you could read. And that's just a never-ending brilliant but I think conversation. You could, just, you could just stand in Waterstones. Because don't you remember the cashing up bit and all that and the stock? That's not as fun as the talking to people. I'm there optionally. Oh, okay. you're so like I'm a not volunteer. Getting, I'm not getting, yeah, I'm volunteering. Those are the worst people at work. When you're like, you're <laughs> slogging your guts off and you're like, no, I just turn up because I like it. You know, like there's a kind of policeman that isn't really a policeman. They community just support police I'm officer. community support Waterstones. <laughs> I, would, I would like to add that I don't think that community support police officers I don't think you're not real policemen I think they get a bit offended well you guess what it was <laughs> so uh, who's getting the, the hate mail definitely they're still not me <laughs> it's a really great book yeah it's brilliant it's brilliant and I am someone who does not like reading tense things stressful things because yeah. that's my life is being quite stressful and I enjoyed it and I had to read it uh, while my kids were watching Andy and the band on CBeebies <laughs> and uh, I still managed to stay very tense and involved which is pretty good because Andy and the band is a very good show yeah, I get annoyed when books are really gripping. Yeah. I'm annoyed with penance at the moment. I'm sorry, Eliza, because my son doesn't sleep very well, so I get very little sleep. And I was up till midnight last night reading penance. And with this book, I read yeah. it over a couple of days. And I'm like, don't, don't make yourself unputdownable. Yeah, it was I need really to start stressful. reading the blurbs at the back of books and going, oh, unputdownable. <laughs> Not for me then. I need putdownable, half a page and all consuming thriller. No thanks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they, um, they were like, tea's ready. And I was like, I'm just coming. I'm just coming. And I had to like read the ep- the two epilogues, mm. like pretending very, I was doing Very, very good setting up for the next stage of the story. I wondered that. I was like, is there going to be another one? Mm. Or is Must there? Be. Do you think? Yes. I almost wondered if it Well, I, I guess it. you can leave it elusively, but either way, lovely cliffhanger. Yeah. You know. Oh yeah, very good. I, we yeah. shouldn't spoil that. It was just like. We, ha- we it, haven't actually. It was, no, I know. We're I, just, it was tasty. I'm really proud of us. Yeah, we haven't done mm. any spoilers. Well done. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> 
we sometimes end with a quote. Do we have anything I, I looked for quotes and they were all either spoilers or too dark. Should I just choose a random quote to say goodbye? Just completely. Okay, Eliza, give us a page number. Yeah, and we'll just... Sorry, is my head going, don't say 69, don't say 69. No, say 69. 69. Yeah, okay, so this is a non-sequitur. And, non and it's 10 lines down, please. Okay. Oh. Would my weapon of choice be my phone to call for help, our biggest kitchen knife in an act of vigilante justice, or my silence? Oh. that's a good taste of this book isn't yeah. it that's like oh yeah. that's why i was intriguing. like oh intriguing Great, well done. thank you so much eliza thank for joining so us much, to eliza. talk about death of a bookseller by alice slater thank you for listening to the weirdos book club you can find out more about eliza clark's work if you head to elizaclarkauthor.com or she's on twitter at fancy eliza and her incredible new novel penance is also out to buy now death of a bookseller by alice slater is also available in bookshops would you believe it sarah's first novel weirdo is also available to buy now go and get it it's out and it's very brilliant and exciting as is my book you are not alone and if you want to do your homework early the next week's book guest will be under the net by iris murdoch thank Thank you you for for reading reading with us we We like reading with you 